Hello, everyone. I'm Harvey Brownstone, and I am overjoyed to welcome a woman who is widely considered to be one of the greatest female vocalists of all time. She conquered Broadway with her landmark award-winning performance in Jekyll and Hyde. She has released 19 spectacular albums, and she performs to sell out crowds in concert halls, including Carnegie Hall, Radio City Music Hall, and the Kennedy Center. What a thrill to welcome Linda Etter to our show. Linda, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Linda, one of the fascinating things about you for me is that although your name is strongly connected to Broadway and your albums and your concert appearances, you actually gained international prominence on television. You were on the 1987-88 season of Star Search. You won for an unprecedented 12 straight weeks and then you won the show. What an incredible way to start a career. Yeah, I mean, it, it really gave me that international audience because there's nothing like, uh, you know, primetime television to do that. You could star on a Broadway show for many, many years. It was the biggest hit in the world and not hit as many people as you can in one night of television. So, yeah, it was great. Well, then in 2000, another major television event happened. Rosie O'Donnell was at your Carnegie Hall concert and was so blown away by your voice that she invited you on her show two days later. You came on, you sang your mega hit Vienna. You caused an international sensation and suddenly everybody wanted to hear more of Linda Etter. How did you cope with that sudden injection of even more fame? Um, well, it may seem, you know, it seems overnight to other people, but I had been singing professionally for several years at that point. So I guess it wasn't really that over overwhelming although it was very very exciting I, I was so flattered for one thing um it was a kind of a a two-pronged punch really because uh Rosie was there that night and so was Kathy Lee Gifford so I was on both Regis and Kathy Lee and Rosie right away after that and that's really you know that was a huge huge boost to my career there's there's no denying that they, they both and they both remained and this day have remained so supportive of me, you know, very warm and supportive. Well, I can tell you the day after your performance on Rosie, the first time, everybody at work was talking about this singer that they'd never heard of, because if they had not watched Star Search, they wouldn't have, and if they hadn't seen you on Broadway, they wouldn't have known who you were. And everybody was talking about Linda Adder. <laughs> or at the water cooler. <laughs> At the water cooler. Yeah. Well, your 1997 performance as Lucy on Broadway in Jekyll and Hyde is, of course, legendary. I saw you in that show twice, and I will never forget the ovations you got after singing your two big songs, Someone Like You and A New Life. How did you summon the energy and the stamina and the emotionality to play that role eight times a week for 16 months? Yeah, and it had been years, you know, of playing the role and doing a a year-long tour, pre-Broadway tour, and different workshops. So it had been in my life a long time. I have obviously had sung something like you many, many, many times. But it was such a, um, a thrilling thing and a relief to finally make it to Broadway in the first place. And then what I loved so much about theater, being a, you know, a theater relative newbie to it, I just, I loved the fun, the camaraderie, the, the playing around. You know, theater folk are just crazy and fun people. And most, uh, I think a lot of people who get into this business of theater want that moment where they have that stage themselves in a big 11 o'clock number, but I was used to that as a concert performer. That really, to me, wasn't 
you know, the part that was the most thrilling, it was, it was everything else. It was the costumes and, you know, doing the scenes and being in, in uh, production numbers and, and just goofing off with people, you know, behind the scenes that I love so much about theater. But for me to do eight shows a week as a belter, um, it was challenging because most people on women on Broadway, they tend to mix, which is a very healthy way to do theater. Uh, you know, you only go up to a certain note in your belt and then you mix it, you go into your head. And it's a strong, good head. It sounds very similar to their belt, but there's a difference. You know, there really is a difference. And I, people know when someone is taking their full voice up, up the range and it's kind of like the fifth gear and they know you have it. So they're waiting for it. So I was out there, you know, eight shows a week, just giving it all I had. And I'm not going to say it wasn't hard. It was definitely hard. It was incredible. Uh, I saw you at the beginning of your run. I saw you at the end of the run. There was no difference. You had the same level of energy. <laughs> you were, you knew that that's what the audience came to hear and you delivered. Well, and also the songs are so great. And, you know, you might not feel like you're into it, the, you know, the half hour before the show starts, but the minute you're out there, you know, and you get in, there's something always kicks in, you know, that stage magic kicks in. I have never understood why the song Bring On The Men was cut from that show. It was such a great song. It's one of my regrets that I didn't, for once in my life, play a diva card because, you know, I'm, I'm not really like that. I'm just a very... <laughs> <laughs> an entertainer entertainer girl from Minnesota and I I I should have I should have put my foot down because I was really the only name associated with the show because really of Star Search in my prior career nobody knew really who Frank was Wildhorn you know they didn't know aside from the name Jekyll and Hyde the, the title and the famous movie as far as the show itself I was the only name that was associated that people across the country could know so I did have some leverage there and you know it was a different director for the Broadway so it was his idea to take it out. And I should have just said no, because it was the best introduction for my character. And people love that song to this day. It's, it's in my live show. I'm, I'm always singing it. And it was a big mistake, but it's just one of those things. Yeah, I, uh, you're anything but a diva. <laughs> yeah, It's well. one of the things I think people love about you so much. You're very accessible. Now, of course, many of your early albums concentrated almost exclusively on the songs of composer and playwright Frank Wildhorn, who was your husband at the time. Some music critics and fans said that you were limiting your song choices too much during that period because they wanted you to sing the songs of other songwriters. Looking back, do you think they were right? Yeah, very much so. Um, obviously, I benefited from many of his great songs, but like any writer, and he has a pretty high percentage of writing, uh, you know, good songs, but they're not all going to be the big mega hits. There, there's no ma um, formula. A right. hit song is just something that happens, you know, some magic thing happens and it turns into something that's just a little more special than the others that might have good craft to them, might be whatever, but they're not quite, you know, that. And that's with any writer. So I definitely should have you know, mixed it up more, but he was very proprietary of me and my voice, <laughs> and he wanted me doing his things, and of course we were together, so it was very easy to kind of fall into that, but I'm not going to deny that there were songs on the records that I was kind of like, ah, I don't know, it's good, but not great, you know. But it was still your voice. Well, yeah, I think um, I would, he was good for me and his songwriting, and I was good for him because I I think I understood his music and I knew how to, you know, in the words of Emerald, kick it up a notch. 
At the opening ceremonies of the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, you gave an unforgettable performance of your hit song, Gold. Was that one of the highlights of your life? Well, it should have been. <laughs> it was a very frustrating night because, you know, we were all excited. The album had just come out. It was big song from the album. And when, when Christy was going to skate to it, we thought, oh, this is amazing. Opening ceremonies of the Olympics. So we we're sitting there with our popcorn and, and they are announcing every bit of music, who sang it, who wrote it, didn't matter what it was, some incidental music or major song throughout the whole program. They're always naming who's performing it, who wrote it, gets to gold, they don't ever say. They never said it was Linda Etter or Frank Wildhorn's song, <laughs> nothing. And we were like, oh, what? No, no, and oh, it was very frustrating. Was that a mistake? I don't know, it was really weird because we were, I was paying attention to that, I was noticing how, Bob Costas and I think, was it Katie Couric? I think the two of them were doing it. They were just really being attentive to the music and really saying it all. And I don't know why, maybe, maybe Christy just dazzled them or something. I don't know, but. You know, I didn't even notice. I, I, I knew it was you and uh, everyone I know is a fan of yours and they knew it was you. And to tell you the truth, I never noticed that they never mentioned your name or the yeah. title of the song. I'm well, sorry to hear that. Well, it wouldn't matter if you already knew, but obviously a lot of people didn't. So it would have been just a good, such good advertisement um, and really would have helped even more and helped that album even more if they would have said something. You've said many times that your musical influences were Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand, Eileen Farrell. In 2005, you released your album entitled By Myself, The Songs of Judy Garland, which is my personal favorite. That was a very courageous album for you to make because of the obvious comparison to a legendary musical genius. How did you choose the song for that album? I just chose the ones that, you know, my two favorite Judy Garland albums are the live ones, Live at the Palladium and Live at Carnegie Hall. To me, that's where she comes to life when it's, a, it's recorded from a live concert. Obviously the studio recordings are good, but I don't think you hear the magic that was Judy when she's not live. Um, there's just a fire and a quickening to her vibrato and a, you know, the, she was born to be a live performer. So it, it all, all the magic I think really happened. So I think I, I chose from that, that in particular, those performances. And then on certain songs, I wanted to do exactly the same arrangement because I just really didn't want to mess with it. And some others I thought, okay, here we can play a little bit, you know, but uh, so it was real, a real mix of that. You reproduced perfectly the arrangement by myself. Yeah. And so I, had, you, I had learned of the song from the movie that was in and, and uh, just thought it was really, you know, kind of a cool song and, and it well, was a got good title. <laughs> what was it like to take those iconic songs and put your own signature style to them? Because you did make them very much Linda Edder songs. Well, it, it felt, it really wasn't intimidating only because I felt, I honestly felt, and this was not, and this saying this was really uh, without ego at all. I felt like I was the right person to do a tribute album to Judy Garland because of the style. question. Well, yeah, because of the style of voice that I have and because she was such a major influence in my, you know, she's the reason I became a singer. Um, and I identified with her in, in a lot of different ways. So it felt right. And it sounded right. Thank you. In 2008, the world heard a very different Linda Etter with the release of your album entitled The Other Side of Me with mostly original songs. Linda, I had to 
actually listen to that album twice before I was convinced that it was really you. Where did that totally different sound come from? Well, that kind of country pop Americana kind of girl, that's me. That's who I am in reality. Um, you know, if I'd never heard Judy Garland or Streisand or any of that, and I had just grown up out in the country, you know, playing my guitar, which I did as a kid. And when I write, although I only wrote one of the songs on that, they're all original songs we found for the record, but I wrote the one song Waiting for the Fall. Um, when I write, I write a country pop kind of style. That's innately who I am as a person. So they always say, write what you know, and that's just kind of what comes out. Um, but because of course, growing up singing, I loved classical music for some odd reason when I was 10. So it was all about the voice and then hearing Barbara Streisand, hearing a beautiful voice that wasn't opera, but was a beautiful voice pulled me that direction. So then of course I immersed myself in this whole world of theater and I learned, I learned how to be that theater kind of Broadway standards type of a singer. Uh, but the other part was always there. And I, in fact, I almost went the country route because I had a, a producer come to hear me sing early on when I first was doing nightclubs. And I went to Nashville, I recorded a couple songs and I almost went that route. Um, it would have been very natural for me. It sounded natural, but it was just such a different sound. There were no big standards. There were no big ballads. People mm -hmm. were saying, who is she now? What is she doing? Yeah. It was actually very brave. And it, I think it reflected something going on in your own life that you just wanted to show people this authenticity in your own personality. Yeah. And, the, and literally the title, the other side. Um, and, the, and, the, and the thing is, I, and I knew there would be a lot who, you know, they love the Broadway standards and whatever they hear you as first, that's what they expect of you. But, but there are also people who came to me because of that album, who'd never heard me before and who prefer that kind of music. So you just kind of, that's what, that's the thing you learn. And that was my best lesson to learn in life as far as when it comes to doing things in music and doing what you want. I used to think, and I say this all the time in interviews, but I always used to think that if I really, really, really liked something, that meant that probably the majority of people really liked it. Mm -hmm. And then when you realize that's not true at all, that people's tastes are so varied, um, then you, it gives you a sense of freedom to say, oh, okay, then I'll just do whatever I want. Because <laughs> I'm not going to please, you can't please everyone. You have to really just do what feels good at the moment. Oh, absolutely. In 2013, you recorded your second holiday album, Christmas Where You Are, and you did something brand new. You allowed your fans on social media to choose six of the songs that you would record, which to my knowledge had never been done before. It was a fantastic idea. Were you happy with the fan choices? Yeah, except, and I love it now, but at the time, I, <laughs> I am just being honest, I, I'm not a big fan of the song, Baby It's Cold Outside. I just never have. That gives you a perfect example. People love that song, but I just don't. And in particular, because I'd, I'd sung it, you know, in the past for something where I had to sing the girl's part. And I don't, I just don't like the, the whole part of the girl. I, I don't know. I don't really care for the melody and that whole mood of that song. So when that was one of the choices, I was like, oh, great. Now I have to do the song. And that's what led me down that road of kind of rewriting the lyrics just enough so that it could fit Jake and I. And he actually, and we flipped, I sang the melody of the man's part. Um, but it was mother and son and and it and he'd never sung yet I had to I had to <laughs> twist his arm and beg and plead and um, and he agreed and he was like 14 at the time and it was the last thing in the world he wanted to do although I knew he had some he had musical talent which obviously he's turned out to be he's turning out to be 
a musical genius, but at the time we didn't really, he didn't know and we weren't pushing that way. So it was, um, that was fun. And he got to hear himself on the radio, which was really cool, you know, doing that oh, song. For sure. You wrote those mother-son lyrics, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, that was really lovely. And then Jake wrote the song called Time on your Retro Volume 2 album. Now he has his own self-titled album out, which is really exciting. You must be incredibly proud of him. I am. He, he's really something else. He, he's, I, this is the, the latest CD I did. I put that one on. And the one before that is the um, If You See Me CD. And that's also his song. Although I wrote the lyrics, he wrote the music to it. And that was back before he was really writing lyrics, but he was writing music. Um, and I had always loved that melody. So I asked him for it. And, and I, then I wrote the lyrics. That was our first and hopefully not last collaboration. And then for this record, I wanted to put another one on there. So yeah, he, he, he'll be hearing the stuff coming up that he's doing. He, he kind of got the best of Frank and I because he can sing, he writes, he writes amazing. He creates incredible lyrics, which I don't understand because he never even wanted to read a book. Um, <laughs> he plays wow. the instruments, he produces it. Yeah, it's, it's something else. I think the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree in that case, or in, in, in this case, the trees. Well, thank you. We would love, please tell Jake, we would love to have him come on our show. I can torture him just like I'm torturing his mother. All right, I'll tell him. Sure I love it. that Jake is such a strong advocate for the arts in our education system. It's such an important component of a well-rounded education, especially for kids whose parents are not musicians and they can't expose their kids to the arts in the way that Jake got as a child. Yeah. Please tell him, I'm, I'm so proud of him for taking a stand. Thank you, thank you. I should point out for people who haven't had the chance to see Linda live in concert, there is a 1999 concert that aired on PBS. There's a live concert album from 2014. Linda, do you have any idea when you'll be performing live in concert again? Well, I was just talking with my agent yesterday and I, I am in talks with possibly coming back sometime in more midsummer, but my first one that we really figured would be with everything that's been going is September 17th in Morristown. That's the first one we sort of have on our calendar, but I, had, I do have a couple other ideas to maybe come back a little bit sooner if in ways that are safe. Um, and of course we have to all play it by ear because you know none of us knows what's gonna happen with the variants and everything, but I have had my first COVID shot and I'll be getting my second one soon. So I'm, yeah. and my band finally has all got theirs as well, but we're all kind of in that same headspace. None of us wants to take a risk if things are looking iffy again you know for sure tell us about your dvd from 2018 the other side an inside look at my life without an audience this is an intensely personal project that you took three years to film what inspired you to do it you know i put my phone on a holder in my car one day when i was driving to the uh a store and i just filmed a little bit because I wanted to try out this video editing. You know, when you, I have everyone who does music is into Mac. So of course I had a Mac computer and it comes with iMovie. And I thought, oh, what's this video editing about? I want to play around with it a little bit. So I just started filming little clips and thought this is kind of fun editing. And it, then the idea was born from there. I said, okay, I'll just keep filming. So I spent, you know, over the course of three years filming and then I spent 6 billion gazillion hours <laughs> editing because it takes forever editing, but it came out really well, I think. It's three hour, over three hours of really very kind of behind the scenes of my life. And people who are fans 
some people will be absolutely fascinated by it and others will be completely bored by it because it is so just my life behind the scenes. And I happen to like that kind of stuff. Um, when I see a performer that I really, really like, I want to see all the real behind the scenes, their home life, their, you know, everything. And you never, you hardly ever get that. The Streisand thing that was put out recently that you could watch, she started off with a little of that right in the beginning. Said, oh, this is great. This is what I want to see. And then it was done. And then from then on, it was just a concert. I was like, no, this is what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'll, I'll tell you why I really liked it. There's something about your voice when a person is sitting and just listening to a CD, you get the feeling that you're singing just to me. And so the, the DVD gives you that same sense that we're getting to know you because we already kind of feel like we do know you because you have a very uh, penetrating way of singing. I don't know if people have said that to you before, but that's how I get your, your, your sound. Well, I'm pretty... Um... I'm pretty open in the DVD and I do show a lot. And also I think, I think the best singers are, I, I call, I teach now. So I call it a connected voice where your voice is really connected to your emotions. Um, because it's very obvious when someone is just singing for the art of singing and, or they're, they basically are singing their technique or singing their lessons or whatever, but it's not connected to their core and their emotions because our emotions infuse our voice with stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Same as like, I'm talking right now, I'm talking with an intent I'm, and I'm feeling something, I'm thinking about what I'm saying, I'm thinking about the way it makes me feel and it's changing the tones and the quality of my voice. And that should happen when we sing. And it doesn't happen for everyone um, because it isn't connected to that. That's for sure. Linda, there's a lot about you to admire, not only as an artist, but as a businesswoman in the way you've strategized your career. You've consistently avoided, I don't know, for lack of a better term, going Hollywood. You don't want to be under the control of a major record label where you have to sing the songs they want and be at their disposal. In 2013, you established your own record company, so you're completely independent, you're self-sustaining. What made you take that approach? Well, I had seen other people were starting to do it. And, you know, the, the record business was great in the, all those early years, many years. Um, but then when it all imploded and it kind of restructured itself, it wasn't financially rewarding the way it had used to have been. And then you still have all the constraints on you. And I kept getting record deals, even though, I, you know, I, didn't, I was never a big radio artist. And um, I had my following, yes, and they would do well. But I wasn't, you know, I'm not a massive radio artists. So I'm not selling massive amounts of records. And I kept saying, why do they keep signing me? <laughs> I would get a record deal. And I think, oh, this will be the last one. Then I get another record deal. And I'd say to my agent, why do they keep signing me? And I was almost like disappointed because I was at that stage where I wanted to take the plunge and do it. But then I'd get another deal and I would chicken out. Um, but then I just decided, okay, I'm doing it. And I thought, okay, what's the safest route is usually, you know, it's a, a Christmas CD. <laughs> a lot of people will go that route because it, it is typically a safer route. People want to buy things for Christmas and they'll buy Christmas CDs, but you're still spending a lot of money. You know, it's a full fledged studio recording with real musicians and all that. You spend quite a bit of money. And the night before I was going to put it out on sale, I, I was terrified. I thought, what if, what if nobody buys this? You know, what have I done? But it turned out to be really successful. And that was the first one. And now I've made five, you know, and this, and also the DVD are the products that I have so far and with more now will be coming. And, and it's, what it also did is it brought back the fun of the record business for me, because I found out sort of late in life that I'm a control freak and I, 
I do like controlling all the aspects of it because I'm artistic. I was going to be an artist, you know, graphic artist when I was younger. So I like everything from designing the covers to, you know, every aspect of it is I'm very much hands on. And it's made it enjoyable for me again, because even though a record company will say to you, oh, yeah, you have control. <laughs> you really don't <laughs> yeah, in a lot okay. of ways. And in the beginning, you know, it didn't bother me, but little by little, you just kind of want, especially if you're like me, I'm very opinionated, you know, and I really think I know what I want. So more and more, it starts to just bother you. And this did bring back the fun, really did. Well, it shows. And I think given that it's your product, you should, you should be in charge. I'm doing it the old fashioned way and I'm not allowing it for download yet. And some people rail and say, why can't it be downloaded? I don't have anything to play a CD player on, to which I just roll my eyes and think, all you got to do is go buy that little tiny thing. It costs nothing and you plug it right in your computer. So that's not really a good excuse. They just want it downloadable. So someday I will. I'll make the catalog all available for download. But for now, no, it's all physical CD, the old fashioned way. And it works for me. <laughs> yeah, it works for me. If there was ever a reason to buy a CD player, you're the one. <laughs> Thank you. I've always gotten the impression that although you love what you do, you don't really want to be mega famous. You don't go on these huge cross country tours that take you away from home for six months. You're one of the few big stars who cares more about your quality of life than you do about fame. A am I right? Yes. And I've always been that way because I, I'm, I'm one of these people that I'm interested in so many things building and, and creating and art. And, and also I, I love to be outside. I, I, I'm a horse person. So I want to be spending as much time as I can riding. And I, if I never left my, my little farm, I, <laughs> I've, I'm never bored. I have a billion projects. And I'll never have enough lifetimes to do all the ideas and projects that I want to do. So, um, and I wanted time to be home. And also the biggest lesson I got was sure. I, I wanted notoriety and fame just like every other person who gets into this business you know it was never just purely oh, I just purely want to sing I don't care if anyone hears me of course not I you know I like performing and there's you don't get anything from it if there's nobody out there you know in the audience so yes I was driven by that but it's still it, it it always is important but it never was that important and it kind of got less after Jake was born and you know living more of a real life and then when I left Jekyll and Hyde, my last performance, the entire 46th Street was full of people who had been in the show or had just come, they couldn't get in, but they were there to see me on my last day. And normally, of course, I'm always at the stage door till the last person, I'll stay as long as it takes. Well, there was no way to sign or say hello to all these people. And we made a plan to just go straight down to Houston from there. So we had to get to the airport. So I had a cluster of people around me, helping me to get to the car that was waiting. Right with all these people crushing in. And I thought, wow, if you reach a certain level of fame and celebrity, this is what your life is. And I knew in that moment that I did not want that, that I could not live that way. And it was a really, really great thing to discover um, because I have what I consider really the perfect life. I've done things in my career I never thought I would. I, I've achieve things I never thought I would, just some little girl from Minnesota who liked to sing. So I feel like I have succeeded. I feel like I've done it. And yet I have a, and so I have a lot of fans. I have a loyal fan base, which is worth more than anything when they're loyal and they really are loyal. But I have the ability to have a normal life. I don't know who's gonna recognize me. So 
someone will and someone won't. So I can go through the majority of my life just like everybody else. And that's really a wonderful thing. You have balance. Yeah. I want to take a moment to let people know about your teaching. You have in recent years been giving master classes and private voice lessons. Although in my opinion, every performance you give is a master class and a voice lesson. Can you actually teach someone to sing as well as you do? To teach, well, I can't make anyone great if they don't have the tools that it's going to take to be great, to be a great singer, but everyone can be a better singer. That's kind of my motto. Not everyone can be great, but everyone can be better because it is all muscles and fine motor skills. And, and the thing is not every life is not fair. Some people are given certain physical aspects right out of the gate. And some people are given the ability to hear a pitch right out, you know, at, better than another right out of the gate. And the way, the way you're built and all that does play a role. The way you look obviously plays a role. It shouldn't, but it does. So, you know, there's all these different factors that can play into it. But as far as learning to be a better singer, absolutely everyone can, can become better. And I actually been teaching now for quite a few years. I, I had been asked so many times and I was afraid to do it because I didn't have lessons. I basically self-taught. So I thought, well, I'm just a phony. I can't teach anybody how to do this. But I finally agreed and I was terrified. It was a masterclass and I was terrified. But the minute a person got up to sing, I just relaxed because I felt immediately I knew what I wanted to tell that person. And the next one was going to get up and I got all nervous again. But again, the same thing happened. And it, it turns out I'm a darn good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. And not only that, I really enjoy it because my techniques are so organic and based in just things we do and naturally in an everyday basis that I think it helps to, to explain it because teaching voice is not easy. No, but you're a master communicator. And uh, I've heard you speak before. You manage to verbalize what you're doing to produce a sound. Right. Well, and I think, yes. And I think that's part of it because I've watched other people giving and they don't really talk about that. They, they kind of just do it themselves or they might put their finger in the air and say, no, go, go up there. But they're not really breaking it down and trying to help that person physically get to the point where they can produce a better sound or build a stronger voice. So I know, I know there are teachers who do, but the, I've, I've watched a lot that don't. And it's because it's not easy. It really isn't. I've often thought you would be a fabulous judge on American Idol or, or, or The Voice or one of those singing competitions because, first of all, you went through one. And secondly, you actually know how to explain what you're doing when you sing. Yeah, I think it would be fun. Um, hard, hard, though, because it's, you know, those shows are tough on kids, you know, and they're all, and for the most part, they are kids losing. And is... you'd have to go to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but losing is, and I was lucky I never had to lose because I watched a lot of people lose and, and it was, it was really, really hard on them when it's so, singing is very personal, at least it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, so it's you, your person that's being criticized or, or is failing. And so it's hard in that sense. Linda, tell us what you've got new coming up. Well, my latest CD I put out uh, during this whole COVID lockdown and uh, in two th 2015, I put out a CD called Retro Volume 1, which was all stuff I had recorded over the course of 20 years, great stuff that was either from a show that didn't happen or this didn't happen. And it's all melodies of Frank's for the most part, a couple of others from Jason Howland, who directed Jekyll and Hyde or conducted Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, 
who went on to write Little Women. He's a great writer as well. So he had a couple on there. But I put that out and then um, I just, I was always going to do volume two, but I went on and put out a few more albums in between. So during this lockdown, I thought, hmm, this is the perfect time because it's all been recorded already. So I put together Retro Volume Two, which is all Frank's melodies, except I did four, uh, th three songs on there, two that are new, new songs for me. Uh, one Jason Robert Brown song, um, Broken Vow I did, and then I put on one of Jake's songs. So, and I did those at home, I actually recorded them at home. The tracks that I did here, found here. So, um, and we put this album out. So finally, Retro Volume 2 came out. And like all my CDs, the only place you can find them is on lindaedder.com on the store there or go directly to the store, which is lindaedderstore.com. How much simpler can that be? <laughs> well, I'm glad you told us because everybody will want to know where they can get uh, the latest CD and all your CDs and the DVD. We really look forward to uh, as much as you want to give us, your fans will take. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I have only one final question. Linda, do you really get, I mean, deep down inside, do you get how monumentally gifted you are with that voice? I mean, do you get how much your fans love you? Well, I, 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 I love the fact that I'm told it on a regular basis and then I read it on a regular basis on the sites and all that. And people don't realize how much that helps me because of course I don't think of it that way. And I never going to be what I want that I hear in my head and I'm never going to be satisfied with what I'm doing. I, so it, it's, it is good, you know, it, it, you kind of need that. And also when I, when you've done it as long as I have, and I'm, I've just turned 60 that, you know, this year so you need that impetus to get keep going and it's, so it's not only the compliments it's the you know it's oh this particular song you know that you did help me through this time in my life you know I went through this horrible experience and I couldn't have made it if I didn't have the song that's the stuff that keeps you really doing the things that you don't want to do which is getting on an airplane and going somewhere because the, the time on the stage is fantastic but all the other aspects of traveling now is hard on me I don't I don't want to be doing it so um but it makes it easier for me to to do that. Well, Linda, I would love for this interview to go on forever because honestly, I could sit here with you and talk endlessly about your career, but I know you've got better things to do. I just want to thank you with all my heart for sharing your phenomenal talent with the world and especially for appearing on our show. Oh, you're so welcome and I'm so flattered you asked me and it was fun. Thank you. Please come back anytime you want. Thank you, Linda, so much for being here. You're very welcome. Our guest has been the spectacular Linda Edder. I'm Harvey Brownstone. Thank you to our producer, Steve Silver. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Be sure to check out more great interviews with Harvey Brownstone on harveybrownstoneinterviews.com. Be sure to check out more interviews by Harvey Brownstone on this podcast channel.